Welcome to the Being Known Podcast with my friend, Dr. Kurt Thompson. My friend, Pepper Sweeney. We are here to discover and explore what it means to be truly known. Hey, Kurt. Hey, Pep. How are you? Good to be with you again. Always. Yeah. Always. Excited about today. I, I love when you start talking about trains. And mm. uh, we're mm. going to be discussing trains today and tracks yeah. and, yeah. and yeah. all the things trains we are talking about the episode is called It's Time for Beauty, and we are talking about time travel today. Yeah. For our listeners, we've been following the outline of the eight primary domains of integration as a, as a framework for how we're talking about beauty and our encounter with it. And today we're talking about the temporal domain, this notion that we as human beings tend to, we, we experience time in ways that as far as we know, no other creature does. And there's a lot we could say about that, but one of the ways that we can talk about time and we experience it is that we can travel on one of two different tracks. We've covered this in other episodes, but one track, track one is a track that we are on most frequently and it doesn't, uh, there are there are good purposes that track one serves. It's a matter of how we imagine the past and imagine the future. And there are certain things that happen on when we're on this track. We spend most of our time on this track. We typically don't, uh, we're not conscious that we're on the track. We tend to remember things on this track really pretty automatically. And we tend to anticipate things when we're on this track pretty automatically. But one of the features of being on this track is that we don't typically have to, you know, it, it's effortless for us to get on this track. It's very easy for me. The second thing, it's easy for me to be on the train that's riding on this track without any help from anybody else. I can do this all by myself. And the feature of this, the, the way my mind tends to travel across time when I imagine the past or am anticipating the future is that when I imagine the past, it's typically an imagined past of regret. Mm. The things I'm sorry for, the things I wish I'd done differently, the things that give me anguish or sadness or grief or anger. I imagine something in the past that is really around, kind of is circling around this word regret in some way, shape or form. And if I then zoom past my present moment and I go into the future, I'm often anticipating a future with anxiety. And this notion that we tend to remember our future means that the experiences that I'm having from my past are fueling the future that I'm anticipating. And if most of my past has been one of regret, it will only have me anticipating one that I likely will experience the same, in which I'll likely experience the same thing in the future. So, so I worry right. into the future. And another element of this track one is that it is influenced deeply by the experience of shame, both when I imagine the regret of the past or the anxiety of the future, because it is really wrapped around my sense that I am inadequate. I was inadequate to whatever it was that happened in the past, and I am and will be inadequate into the future. We spend a lot of time on that track, and we have an option to actually travel on a different track, the second track. And this is a track that requires more conscious intentionality. I have to buy a ticket. I, have to, I don't have to buy a ticket for track one. I'm just on it. Yeah. 
Track two, I have to buy a ticket and I have to buy a ticket with someone else. To be on track two often requires the participation of other people with me. And instead of being shaming, mostly on track two, I am being curious. I'm not being condemning. I'm being curious. So I'm conscious. I'm I, on purpose. I'm doing this on purpose. I'm doing it with some, the presence of other people, this interpersonal nature of this to help me get on this. And when I think about my past, when I'm on track two, I am thinking about it. I'm reflective. I'm reflecting on my past. I want to be curious about it in order for me to have some sense of what can I learn from this? Not what was wrong with me, but perhaps what happened to me, what happened to somebody else when in their past. I can be curious about my past. How would I do things differently, but without condemnation, but rather out of curiosity? Hmm. And when I move into my future, it's a future in which I am planning for things. I'm not anticipating the future with anxiety. I am planning. Here's what I want to do. This is the action that I want to take. So often when we are imagining our future and we are anxiety provoked, we jump over lots and lots and lots of moments and we jump to a catastrophic endpoint somewhere out in the future in which I'm worried about worst case scenarios. And I'm doing that because I'm not actually taking into consideration all those moments between right now and that imagined future in which I could take action and plan for whatever those actions are going to be. But if we're on track two and enabled to be there because somebody else is buying a ticket with us and they are asking us questions of curiosity, inviting us into this space, I can be more communally connected to that second track. And the primary imagined future is one of hope. We think about Jesus in the gospel of John when he is saying to his disciples, in this world, you will have tribulation. And then he says, but be of good cheer, take courage, have hope because you're trusting me. Not you're, you're not trusting your future. You're trusting me is what, we're, is what we're trusting. And one of the things that we see about beauty is that beauty draws us to track two. Remember that if we're on track one, I'm there automatically. My mind seems to be running its own train. I don't seem to have much agency in deciding where I'm going to be. I'm just on the train. I would say, you know, we talked in the last episode, you talked about how we pause for beauty. Mm -hmm. And I would think that if you're going to get on this other train, I mean, because the first train you're just on, right? Mm. So if you're mm. going to consciously get on this other train, you have to pause mm. before mm. you get on that train. And mm. And I'll say that my experience through this season has been that my pauses with beauty have allowed me the space mm. to get on train two. Can you give an example of that? Well, we talked a few weeks ago, for instance, you know, I, I was I was having some, there were some things going on that were bringing up things in my past that were bringing up things. Mm -hmm. that, and mm -hmm. I was looking at them with regret and looking at them, you know, mm -hmm. in, in those, in those mm -hmm. terms. Mm -hmm. But as I was paying more attention to beauty, it gave me the space and, you know, I would dare to say that there were deeper connections with God that were happening there mm -hmm. where mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. I was able to see things in a different way mm -hmm. and discover a way to start looking back and reflect on what was happening. And, but, but I, 
I also, there was this process of while this was happening, I was coming to you, I was coming to Amy, I was coming to Nell, and I was discussing these things and these things that I was, mm-hmm. I was feeling um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that you all helped me to get on this, mm-hmm. this other track and to start mm-hmm. being more curious mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. being more reflective. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. and, but it was beauty that allowed me the space to do it, I would say. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I mentioned in our last episode, our last episode when we recorded, I happened to be, I was I had just come off this two and a half day intensive that our practice was running last week. And, you know, one of the offerings that we provided, one of our clinicians, uh, Stephanie Christensen, in a, you know, earlier in her life, she was a musician and a vocalist and just really talented. I can't believe that we get to work with her now. And she led this cohort in an exercise that invited them to listen to different pieces of music Mm. and invited them to allow the music to evoke things within them that they could then reflect on and pay attention to. And it was an exercise that invited and required the members of the cohort to just be present. Yeah. They weren't taking notes. They're not listening to somebody talk to them. They're being present to the piece of music. And she offered different kinds of music that evoked different things that they were sensing in their physicality. And it was one of these moments where it brought people into a space where they were choosing to be in a space or not just automatically on track one running up and down and so forth. So that even when the music was evoking a certain sense of tension or a certain sense of anxiety or, you know, distress, they were with the distress that, you know, they, they were able to see that they were experiencing it, but it didn't, you know, it didn't consume them. It wasn't because they were doing it together with others. It was this intentionality that you're talking about that gives us pause and lets us be open to things in our story that uh, it's really difficult for us to be open to yeah. when we are running on track one. So beauty draw, I love, I love that. Uh, I love that story for you of how things become generative and new as we are willing to put ourselves in the path of oncoming beauty and allow it to bring us onto track two. And one of the ways that it brings us on a track two, it slows our pace, as you've already mentioned. And our, when our pace is slowed, our attention to beauty is made possible in ways that I, you know, don't typically pay attention to it. We've said here before that we actually, you know, functionally, we treat beauty as, uh, you know, it's a luxury. It's, it's, a, it's something, it's an accessory. It's something that we add, but it's not basic. It's not fundamental. Unless we were to consider the possibility of what would happen if all beauty in the world was just taken out and we would discover that we would be left with virtually nothing in the world Hmm. because there's just so much of it around us, but we are so busy running on track one that we don't see it. And by being present with it, it reduces our anxiety because we are brought into the present moment. With enough practice of this, it extends our capacity to notice beauty where before we did not notice it. 
And when our and when we practice creating opportunity for us to experience less anxiety because we are choosing to do so, as opposed to, oh, I just hope I I hope I'm less anxious. You know, we one of the things that when I'm working with patients, uh, when we are using, you know, pharmacotherapy, when we are using medication as an intervention for things, mm-hmm. which is oftentimes necessary because for all of the interventions that we can provide for people to do on their own, sometimes their brain has so overshot the threshold of anxiety that they need some extra assistance in the beginning to get that regulatory process of anxiety initiated and can be really effective with this. And then they, they, they will reach a point where as they are then, as they, as they, if, if when their anxiety is regulated more effectively, and then they start, they're able to start to do some of these exercises and work and start. But there comes a point where we're going to see, hmm, what is it like for you to begin to back off on the medication and see what happens? And there's a certain sense of like, am I going to have agency? Or I, do I have to, am I going to have to have something from the outside or am I going to have agency? And so one of the things that these kinds of practices of slowing down does, it really gives us an embodied experience of agency such that I have the sense that there are things that I can do to reduce my anxiety. And just to be clear, this does not mean that, uh, I mean, there's some people who, whose anxiety, their, their set point in their brain, their threshold of anxiety is such that they might be on medicine for the rest of their life. Uh, and the question is always not, well, is it, are you trying to be, are you either on or off medicine as if one is better than the other? The real question is always, um, are, am, am, I, am I living my life in a way of wholeness? Or am I not able to do that? And if I'm, and if medication enables me to be whole, enables me to be integrated, you know, just like wearing a pair of shoes typically helps me have a better day. Right. In that sense, it enables us to function well. So, but practicing being with beauty extends our capacity to notice it where we didn't before. And then eventually we begin to practice noticing beauty in the very context of grief. When we go to the museum, as we were talking about last week, Mm -hmm. you go to the Getty and you're with the irises, uh, we would anticipate that we are going uh, in and we anticipate not being disturbed. We anticipate being able to be present with the irises and uh, we're going to sit with that for 30 minutes or maybe longer. Practicing doing that increases and expands my capacity to then actually bear witness to beauty in places where it is not so sanguine, where it is not so easy. We get closer and closer to the echoes of, you know, Vedran Smailovic, the chalice of Sarajevo, where beauty is taking place in the middle of carnage. Mm. But if we don't have any experience with beauty in the first place, it becomes difficult for us to just hope we find it in the middle of really hard places, which is why practicing doing this so important. You know, you all may have heard, Pepper and I took a trip to El Salvador, and we have so much to share with you. In fact, in a future episode this season, Amy will interview Pepper and me about our trip. Pep, you remember Vanessa, the mother of the two little babies? Oh my gosh, yes. Yes, we went to her house. Vanessa is a mother of four, two of which are twin babies. You know, 
we witnessed Vanessa and her husband going to great, and I, I mean great lengths to provide for their family. And the thing that I realized, you know, in the moment is they had the very same dreams and hopes for their kids as we have for ours. And what we discovered was that with the support of a compassion sponsorship, it's possible for those dreams to be realized. You know, Phyllis and I have supported Compassion International for years, and we're so aware of the amazing work that they do. And one of the unique features about Compassion is that they work with the local church. And what I love about this is that when help arrives, it arrives with a familiar face. We witnessed this impact firsthand in the way families experienced feeling seen, soothed, safe, and secure. You know, we saw the need firsthand in El Salvador. Consequently, we are centering our efforts there. However, should you feel a call to sponsor a child in another part of the world, you'll have that option as well. We as a community get to be part of this mission. We invite you to join us by sponsoring a child. $43 a month provides a child with all their basic needs and hope for a brighter future. Go to Compassion.com forward slash known. That's C-O-M-P-A-S-S-I-O-N dot C-O-M forward slash K-N-O-W-N. And remember, $43 a month will literally change a child's life. Join us. You know, one example that we have from the biblical narrative is this notion of, of, of experiencing beauty in the middle of grief. We see in Jesus' encounter with himself in Gethsemane, the sense that, you know, he's got this three-step process in his prayer, but he, Father, take this cup from me. This is a request, but I, I, I am anguish. My soul is in anguish. He says this. He's naming what he feels. And then he asks for something. Take the cup. And then he submits to God's will. And we f- so often skip the first two steps, thinking that, well, we're just going to submit to God's will. And in a way, you know, beauty imagines us. Because, you know, if you say like, oh, I remember when I went to see Mark Rothko for the first time in the National Gallery in the East Room here in um, in Washington. And, you know, uh, my friend and I, when we sat with the Rothko paintings, most of the people who came in and out, they were in and out in five or ten minutes. And uh, even even being a complete novice at the time that I was, I'm like, I, I'm even aware that like five minutes with this painting is going to do, I, like, I, I, I need not even have come. But something like Rothko asks us to sit and wait. The irises, you can walk in and look at it and say, that's beautiful and move on, which tells us something more about us than it does about the painting. But if you sit with the irises Mm -hmm. long enough, things start to happen, as I'm sure you've experienced. Yeah, you you know, what this makes me think, Kurt, is, is this idea of being present with beauty, this idea of track one and track two, you often say that the brain can't be anxious and grateful at the same time. So it can't be anxious. Yeah, yeah, anxious and grateful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. Yes. In the present moment. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. In the present moment. I'm wondering if we can truly be present in the midst of anxiety. Well, it's a tricky thing. Uh, when we are anxious, when we are flooded, 
it takes a great deal of work. I mean, how, how many of us? I, me- I remember, I remember, I was sitting. I was a sophomore, I think, in college, and I'm sitting in a chemistry exam, and I sit down to the exam, and dude, I'm telling you, like nothing on the exam page. I didn't recognize it. Like it, nothing right. was making sense. Right. And it was the first time I ever had a panic event. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't get that thing stopped. And I I didn't know it was a panic event at the time. And I was so overwhelmed that there would have been no amount of uh, mindfulness practice that I could have called upon in that moment to have stopped that from happening. I'd never had it happen before. Didn't, didn't know that that's what it was. And so for our listeners, like, yeah, there are plenty of times when we get overwhelmed with anxiety. And as much as we want to be able to be in the present moment and take two or three deep breaths and kind of find our feet solid on the ground and so forth. And, and, you know, yeah, Pepper and Curl will be so proud of me when I tell them like what I was able to do. Like there are just times when it's overwhelming. And I, you get a sense of this with Jesus, even in Gethsemane, right? He says, I, I am anguish. I'm in anguish here. Mm-hmm. And this is where I think the whole question of the degree to which we find ourselves alone with our anxiety that is right. so crucial. Right. And to the degree that we have connection with others with whom we can say, I'm really I'm over my head with anxiety. And they are able to empathically connect with us. That becomes a way in which our anxiety can be reduced and I can be brought back to the present moment. I think about times when I've been on stage in a play and the brain stops. Oh, my gosh. You're. I can't even. The panic that, you know, you talk about not being able to be in the present moment until another actor sees what's happening. There was a, oh my gosh, I was doing a play once and there was a guy who, he just went vacant. And the whole, we were at a point in the play where the next two pages were all his dialogue and it was all new material. So there wasn't like I could say, you know, trying to find a way to get us back on track because I, my character wasn't supposed to know any of these, any of this stuff yet. The things that he's 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 about to tell you. So I couldn't just, you know, cue him to go on, but just like... You know, and you saw, wait, oh, wait, oh, wait, wait, wait. So the moment happened, and at some point, whether it was like a nanosecond or two seconds or what, at some point, like, it became clear to you that he was, like, oh, he'd left the building. No, he was gone. He was completely gone to the point that I know in his mind, he's thinking, I have to walk to the edge of the stage and say, I'm sorry, but we need to we need to go back because I don't know. And this is live audience. I, this is a live audience, yeah. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And oh, my gosh. Just to be able to, like like connect with him visually and mm-hmm. you know breathe <laughs> and it probably oh you know it it didn't it felt like an eternity right it felt like Dude, especially uh, and, and i know what like because that feeling that i've had it's like this the, the room just kind of goes <laughs> like it just get you like it's just this <laughs> oh, oh my right? gosh and you're and you're just like i it's eternity you know, of the wrong kind. It is. It, it feels like it. But, it's but really hell. Until you can get the help from somebody else to bring you back mm, to the mm, present moment mm, so you can mm-hmm. breathe through some of the, the, the panic and anxiety that you're feeling. Yeah. It, you can't go on. Yeah. 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 Well, what do you remember happened? 
Well, he finally, I mean, he danced around and like, and then the problem with this one was he would get back on it and then he, it, he was gone again. I mean, it was a, it, it wasn't our best show. I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> he finally got back on track, skipped half the material and we kind of figured it out along the way. But yeah. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I remember the first time I, first and only time I, I went scuba diving. Uh-huh. And a friend of mine and I had, you know, we, we were, this is in the Caymans and we were, uh, we were like, we neither of us had ever done it before. And so we're in the pool in the morning getting trained. And then we were, and then we went off, uh, we went out off of a dock at shore, but a, the dock that was in 40 feet of water. And we're going to, we're going to dive down to 40 feet, which for, you know, newbies, like that's, that's not a, yeah. that, that's deep. That's deep. Yep. And, uh, and I'm like, I'd had a great experience with the dive master. She was, she was great, you know, teaching us and so forth. And so, uh, I, I come off the ladder and I start to go down and I mean, dude, I am under the water less than, less than one and a half seconds. And I start to pan the only, the second time in my right. life. And I, I tell you, it's better to have a panic attack sitting in chemistry class than it is to have a panic attack with scuba gear on and you're going under the water and you're belted with weights that are taking you 40 uh, feet down. Right. right. This is this is not good not news. Not good. No. But here's what she did. She like she could see the panic and she just like put her thumbs up like like we're, we're going back up to the surface and like going back up literally like. 12 inches, right? right? Going back up to the surface. Because <laughs> that's about how far it took for me to panic. Right. And and she just, she took her regulator out and she said, how are you doing? Just breathe. There was no sign of panic for her. Mm -hmm. Just like with you, the actor, you're trying to find, you're, you're just going to be a presence. Right, exactly. And she said, we're going to take our time. Let's try it again. We're just going to take our time. And I, like my awareness of her care for me, like that was the game changer. Yeah. And I didn't, now it required work on my part because like first I, and I, and I, and I now like, because the temptation is like, is it going to happen again? Mm -hmm. And so you, you have, there's work to do on my part. It's not just all her, but that awareness of another person, right? It took that, moment of eternal hell of the panic and transformed it into a different kind of time travel such that when I went down the second time with an intention and awareness of what I needed to do and she's not very far away it enabled me to do the work that eventually became this amazing you know 30 minute dive and I just it was just remarkable and a remarkable experience of knowing how beauty uh, emerges as a result of other people coming for you yeah, in that way and how it helps us with our temporal, you know, the, this whole notion of time, uh, us getting stuck on one track or the other, right? And in this case, it's a panic track. It's not just anxiety. It's like full on panic. And so, I mean, I think the other thing too that we see is that this kind of thing, like it enables me to imagine a future where in which like, oh, if I get in trouble, like I'll be okay. Right. Because she's here. Right. I don't imagine a future in which I, if I'm in trouble, I'm really in trouble because I'm by myself. I'm like, oh, we'll be okay. 
And this is the essence of how our traumas are healed. Because we begin to imagine, so even in me, even in me, the dive master was not overwhelmed. She was, she was not living with the experience that like, I had to get out of the water. She could see something beyond the anxiety that I could see. But I, I, I couldn't manage it on my own. She could see something that I wasn't able to see. Yeah. And this is how our traumas are healed. Uh, again, referencing that intensive that we were part of last week. I mean, the number of times that I witnessed moments in a room of people who, like, prior to Wednesday afternoon, didn't had never met each other, watching these moments emerge where in the middle of people's stories of often great brutality, watching hope physically emerge right before my very eyes in their gaze, in the shift in their body posture, the, the tears that would start to come mm. because they finally could tears that were coming tears of great sadness of great grief that eventually would become tears of joy and incredulity that I could be loved by people who have no idea who I am and who I was sure 30 minutes ago, once they knew who I was, would want nothing more to do with me. Just an amazing thing. Mm. And all of this, uh, this, this changes, like th this changes. So what, what, one of the striking things that this, these moments of beauty did was that it changed the capacity of those who were healed to envision their own story differently. Like literally 30 minutes before these things, these interchanges, they, they did not have the capacity to envision that healing was a possibility for them. They couldn't see it. They couldn't see the beauty until they actually had an experience, an encounter with someone who could see the beauty for them, giving the opportunity for their imagination to catch up mm. and to enter into that experience. And so it doesn't just clear, make me able to see, it also makes it possible for me to imagine all kinds of things that I can see in other people that heretofore I couldn't see. And so beauty begets beauty in this way because it's strengthening our capacity to steward that, which we've been given to rule. You know, just reading a number of authors and theologians recently, this whole notion of Paul's language, that's very explicit. And when you read it, you're like, really? When he says, uh, you who will be expected to rule, Paul and John, rule over angels. You know, you read that, you blow right past it because you're like, I don't know what universe that's being talked about, but it's not the one I live in. And if that's going to be our role, if it's going to be our role to rule in a world of beauty that is so bright and so solid that it would necessarily overwhelm us given our current status and our difficulty being with beauty. That's something to say that, um, that's a, that's, that's a big deal. That is a big deal. That is a big deal. You know, one of the ways that personally I experience beauty on 
pretty much the regular is through nature. And we have asked uh, you all to spend some time pausing and noticing and paying attention to the beauty of nature in this past week. For me, one of the things that there were there there were so many you know it's it's so interesting because I can just look back at my at my photo library on my phone because anytime I see beauty, I'm snapping a picture. Mm. And mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that I experienced this week was I was on a pre-dawn flight and my seat was towards the back of the plane and the, and there there weren't a lot of people on the flight and. Just the window that was sort of right behind, sort of right behind me, all of a sudden this beautiful glow started coming and filling the whole plane. Like it, it like shot through the mm. whole plane. And I turned around mm. and the sun had just, just peaked over the horizon. And mm. it was so gorgeous. I snapped a picture of it and we'll share it with everyone. And just, you know, I think in that moment, you know, I'm looking around the plane and the other people that are in the plane. And there was no one else getting their phone out to take a picture of mm. of this mm. beauty. There was no one else really, mm. it, people didn't seem to, like, it, I felt like there was no notice of it. There was no marking mm-hmm. of it. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that part of it is, you know, I, I've always sort of tried to find myself paying attention to that kind of beauty to the point mm-hmm. that... I, I love when my adult kids now will text me pictures of and say, look how mm. beautiful this is. Look how, you know, mm. and so I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been doing that with them their whole lives and now they're they're doing it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's this work that, that we're doing that I just think paying attention to it makes such a difference and then yeah. sharing it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, those. Yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's really beautiful. And uh, I mean, I, 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 uh, I, I, you know, I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't think of a better thought on which to bring our mm. episode and our series yep. to a close. What a great series. What yeah. a great series. Thank you, Kurt. Thanks for, thank you. Thanks, thanks for, for bringing it. Appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, uh, we will yeah. be announcing season nine soon. Uh, we're right excited on. about it. And uh, we'll be, we'll be announcing that to you all soon. So, so pay attention for that. Okay. Right. Love you. Very good. Those of you who are you. Uh, on YouTube, will be joining Amy here in just a minute. This podcast is produced by Kurt Thompson, Pepper Sweeney, and myself, Amy Chella. Audio production and editing is by Keaton Simons. Video production and editing is by Mark Gould. Speaking of videos, each week we post the video version of every episode to our YouTube channel. You can find us on YouTube by going to youtube.com or your app and searching Being Known Podcast. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on social media at Being Known Pod. If you like this podcast, tell a friend. Tell all of your friends. And please like, rate, and review. Be well, be known.